Welcome to Sing Swing Sing in Conversation. In this episode, I'll be talking to three of the UK's most experienced session singers, who between them have recorded for TV adverts, film soundtracks, and live radio concerts as both solo and choral singers. If you're an aspiring vocalist, whatever genre you perform in, you're sure to find this podcast interesting and informative. Ian McKenzie is one of the most in-demand jazz, lounge and big band singers in the UK. Performing with world-class orchestras and big bands, including those of the BBC and RTE, Ian is currently the principal male vocalist for the Ronnie Scott's Jazz Orchestra and resident singer with the London Dance Orchestra at the Ritz in London. Ian's voice can be heard featured on a vast amount of advertisements on TV, radio and online. He's also worked widely with vocal harmony groups, including Vox Tet, The Magnets, The New London Jazz Voices and Capital Voices. I asked Ian to describe the average recording session. Uh, there are two main sorts of sessions that I get involved in. One would be for, as a solo singer and the other would be uh, as a choral singer, so within a choir. So if I get booked as a as a solo singer, the first thing usually would happen would be get the phone call telling me what um, the project is, uh, whether it might be one song or a series of songs, and and what they're hoping to get from it and what it's for, and what the budget is. It's quite an important aspect I think to to understand because sometimes you're asked to uh, to do a, what they call a pitch uh, for something, which might be that uh, they're asking you to do a demo so that they can take that recording to the people who are actually requesting the uh, the recording and and play that demo and then if they if they buy it if they go for an advert or for project of some sort if they go for it then you get the the bigger payout the bigger money and you might have to go and record it again so yes yeah, it's, it's always worth worth uh, checking whether it's uh, whether it's for a demo so it's for a pitch or whether it's for the actual gig and what the usage is you know whether it's going to be used worldwide or whatever. Uh, if if I was being booked for as a solo singer, then that's they were the questions that I would ask first of all, and then um, and then generally I would either go uh, be booked um, and 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 go to the go to a studio on a specific date or record from home. Often uh, they would send me the material either in uh, the form of uh, sheet music, you know, a PDF of sheet music usually that would be the case if it was uh, if it was a song that was an original song sometimes with original songs the composers even sing the songs themselves even if they're not very good singers they might just bash through it uh, along with sheet music for it to help you learn it but sometimes they don't sometimes it is just sheet music and uh, and and you have to just turn up and 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 try and get through it read it on the day sometimes I've done some sessions where they don't even send you it in advance, and that's more that's more common actually with the choir sessions, which is the other sort of session that I get involved in. So that's where you're a part. So so you'll be singing a part with a with an ensemble. So that might be for something like um, uh, one of the recent ones I did was an Andrew Lloyd Webber one with the Capital Voices, which was for um, the the new Cinderella production in the West End, and yeah, we so we 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 didn't get the music in advance. In that case, we we had to uh, had to read it on the day, and I was doing sort of the baritone high, bar- high baritone part. There were no solos; it was all ensemble, and we got a chance when we got to the studio, which was at Air Studios. We we got the chance to run it a few times um, before we actually did the recording, 
In fact, for that one, we actually did have a day of rehearsal as well. So sometimes there'll be rehearsals and things like that for those sort of sessions. But uh, there are also there's also the option of recording some of these things at home. So sometimes I might get asked to do a solo recording and they'll just say can you can you record it at home and and so then I get the opportunity to do it at my own leisure you know my in my own time frame and that can be really useful thing thing to get down so I'd really especially of course with the whole lockdown thing that's been occurring you know so I'd recommend very much working towards getting a studio setup of some sort I sometimes do tracking choirs as well from home which is a uh, um, an interesting concept because there's a female singer that I work with who, who she records her parts in Spain and I record my parts here and so I record all the tenor and bass parts and she records all the soprano and alto parts and we track them up so it sounds so I'll do my my tenor part three times and she'll and my bass part three times so in the end you know you, you end up with uh, with 12 singers and it sounds like a choir, and that's uh, that. That's quite a, a a good thing to do. Although it is a little bit brain numbing after a while if you're just rattling through stuff, because a lot of that stuff is for backing vocals for for things. Christopher D is the founder and director of the Maida Vale Singers. The Maida Vale Singers lead the field in concert, broadcast, and recording work in the UK. They're a flexible pool of session singers with the versatility to cover all styles of music from pop to opera. With over 25 years' experience working on stage and as a session singer, Christopher D has built an enviable reputation for bringing together the right performers with the right voices. So what does Christopher expect from the singers he books for sessions? There are several things I expect from session singers at a recording session. The first is promptness. They have to arrive and be in their allocated place before the session is due to begin. They have to be ready to start recording immediately, so have to have warmed up their voices in advance. As the standard is so incredibly high, they will be given notes which they have to react to immediately, so they need to bring a pencil with them, and most of all, they need to have their wits about them. Mary Carew has over 30 years' experience as a recording artist. Mary's work as a studio singer has led her to sing for artists such as Michael Jackson, Elton John, Mike Oldfield and Joe Cocker, and film composers Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, and for numerous TV and radio shows and jingles. She's also sung on hundreds of film soundtracks, including The Hobbit series, Mary Poppins Returns, Into the Woods, Beauty and the Beast, and Alice in Wonderland. So how does Mary prepare for a recording session? Preparing for a session is in many ways similar to preparing for any time you're going to sing. Uh, the only difference being that very often you're doing sessions at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, which isn't always the uh, most ideal time for us singers. Um, but you obviously try and do a bit of a warm up as best you can, um, even if it's just sirening and humming um, on your way to the studio. Um, because you have to be prepared from the moment that the clock is running to make takes that are perfect first time round. And so the client doesn't want to have to spend the first half an hour of the session waiting for the session singers to warm up. Uh, so that's very important. If you've been sent music in advance, which does happen, unfortunately, it didn't used to happen at all, because we're, we're session singers who read music. Um, and the idea is supposed to be or used to be that you turn up to a session and you just read the music there and then. That happens 70% of the time still, but you do still get now 
with the advance of you know sharing pdfs online and so on the composers might send out the music and then there's a sort of sense of obligation to have a look through the music before you turn up and if you find something that is a little bit tricky then obviously you might have a little look at it on the train there or uh, the day before or whenever you get the opportunity so that hopefully it comes together nice and quickly in the studio and really just making sure maybe the night before that you haven't had too much of a heavy night uh because the voice is so related to your physical um, health, you know, the way your body feels has an important impact on the way your voice sounds. So getting up with enough time to make sure that you have had a reasonable breakfast or whatever your morning routine is, um, that you can actually do that so that by 10 o'clock or whenever the studio session starts, you are ready to go. I would say that that is probably but the most important thing is to be physically and mentally ready to go to work on the button. Mary mentions the ability to sight read and sight sing music. And she is by far the best sight reader I have ever worked with. But is it essential to be able to sight read music in order to be successful on the session scene? This is Ian's take on it. It depends on what sessions you're doing, I would say. If you're doing a solo session, whereas you're uh, the only singer and they are asking you to sing one specific song, you could pretty much certainly get away without being being able to read. You can learn the song and they can send you the information that you need to be able to learn that song. It, you know, it may, it may be a song that's been previously recorded, so you can learn it from that. But if it isn't, then, as I said before, most of the time you would get some sort of uh, demo you, you you could you could ask for a demo of it if if it even if it's just the lyrics and the melody being played on a keyboard so that side of it i would say not essential but for the choir side if you're if you're doing sessions in a choral situation yes i would say reading is is pretty much essential it doesn't have to be to a ridiculously high level you know you don't have to have to be able to walk into a room look at the music once and just be able to sing it straight away you know that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be able to do that but um, I would certainly say the low level of, of, of sight reading ability would be a very useful thing for anyone thinking of getting into the session world. Chris insists it's an absolutely essential skill and highlights it as a potential barrier to anyone looking to break onto the scene. The biggest barrier is that very few schools teach pupils to read music anymore. Session singing is a highly honed art, and it starts off with the ability to sight-read music to an incredibly high standard. If you can do this, you are more than halfway there. However, the work in this field is ever decreasing. The less work around, the more competitive the industry is. Well, getting onto the scene and having the skill set for it are one thing, but how much work is there available? Is it busy? I think the simple answer is probably not as busy as it used to be. And I'm talking probably about 15 years ago, but um, whereas it used to be very busy. Now, the, the, maybe one or two sessions that would be going to a studio a month for me, I would say, and maybe one or two sessions at home. And the rest of the time would be taken up doing gigs and teaching. So it's fingers in pies at the moment, I would say. The, uh, the the tracking session side of things, doing working from home has opened up a, some, a new stream of work. Obviously, it's a different pay scale because you're recording all the parts. So you get a bit more money than you would normally get if you were just doing um, 
one session uh, with a choir and just doing your own part. So that could be uh, that could be a very useful thing to try and get involved in. But yeah, it isn't. Unfortunately, it isn't as busy as it used to be, and uh, and and you do have to be careful about uh, negotiations of, of fees and things because there are people out there, unscrupulous people, trying to trying to diddle you out of uh, out of money. There's a library scene, library music scene, whereas um, you tend to tend to work um, and get paid for a single recording, and sometimes that single recording can get used on something. You know, loads of publicity going on with it, and um, and you've only been paid 150 quid for the uh, for the session. So you you do have to be careful, and you don't want to undersell yourself. Mary agrees with Ian, and has seen many changes to the session world over her 30 plus years in the business, including the types of work available. Been a lot of changes since I first came onto the session scene. Most importantly, is the fact that there is far less work around for session musicians and session singers generally. When I first started, one of the main areas of work for me learning my job was for radio. They had a programme, for instance, they had a lot of programmes, but one of them in particular on Radio 2 was called Friday Night is Music Night. And back then, every week there would be a choir of 16 singers. 16 singers would vary, but the job there is you turn up at 12.30 or whatever, you have a rehearsal between one and two and then you're with the orchestra at half past two till six and then you're live on the radio that evening at 7.30. So there's a lot of sight reading, getting a blend, learning how to work with 16 other singers and make it sound fabulous on a live recording. So that was a sort of bread and butter job. There were a lot more recording sessions for TV because there was a lot more live music on TV or music was recorded by session musicians rather than perhaps composers in their home studios doing everything themselves on a synth or using samples and so on. Or um, And certainly from a singer's point of view, equity meant that you had to be a professional if you were going to be doing a job there was you had to be an equity member and to be an equity member was kind of a bit like having your I don't know your professional qualifications if you're a plumber or something like that so you when there were certain jobs you had to employ people who were equity members and it meant that it couldn't be the producer's girlfriend who might have a very nice voice but needs an awful lot of work on a computer to make it sound good because of course back then we didn't have computers to correct people's tuning or timing or anything like that. So it was a skill. I, I suppose you had to learn an awful lot of um, skills that I think are, are very important about being professional and about how to make sure that you're doing the best job possible in the first or second take um, and not leaving all the work to somebody else to tidy up afterwards. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that... Um, when I started off or relatively early, there were several West End shows that had session singers backstage. And that was a wonderful way to have a kind of regular income. I mean, the idea of a regular income these days as a professional musician or singer or actor, it's a, a godsend to have something that you know you can rely on. And Cats and Starlight Express, Grease, Saturday Night Fever, quite a lot of those shows that were sort of 
quite heavily dance based or roller skating based and so they helped uh, the, the session singers backstage just joined in when it was the big chorus numbers and did certain specialist vocal things so that the poor skaters or dancers who were out of breath from doing ridiculous choreography were able to focus on doing a great job of performing and we could help make the sound that little bit more strong well, a bit more strength in the vocal sound so those sorts of jobs don't really exist anymore so yes I'd say the main thing that has changed is really the fact that work has got less and the people who are doing the work sometimes are people who haven't necessarily studied or trained and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing because you know there are some fantastic singers out there who never trained and studied but I'm sure you understand what I mean (laughs) I hope you do I'm not being I'm not being a horrible things aren't like they used to be kind of person but um but that is a big difference somebody starting off in the profession if there's less work around they can't become a full-time singer they have to have a part-time job or a full-time job to pay the bills. I asked Chris what he thought the reduction in work volumes and opportunities were caused by. This is simple. The industry has been decimated by the internet and there is now only a tiny fraction of the work that was around when I started in the industry. Well that's shooting from the hip but surely it's not all doom and gloom? I asked Mary to tell me about the most exciting and interesting sessions she'd been involved in. Exciting and interesting. Every session has got different challenges, if you find challenges exciting, of course. One thing that does come to mind as being, it wasn't technically a session, it was a sort of workshop, was back, goodness knows, I don't know what the dates were, but we did the first run-through workshop of Mamma Mia, we had to sight read, or actually didn't have to sight read, we had to make up the backing vocals because for one reason or other the uh, parts weren't written, but I know most of the ABBA songs anyway, so we gave it a jolly good go. But Benny and Bjorn were there, and it was the first time that I was aware that there was a musical being based on ABBA, and yeah, that was quite an exciting experience for someone who was already an ABBA fan, I mean, other things, sort of professionally, the first time I worked on the Carl Jenkins Addy Amos project uh, was really exciting to make a brand new seeming sound with an amazing session singer like Miriam Stockley was fantastic. I was quite young at the time and it was a very new thing to do and um, very creative and I learnt such a lot from doing that. So that was also a very exciting thing to do from a professional point of view. And then obviously every time you go into a studio and you don't really know who the artist is and then someone like Eric Clapton walks in or you're suddenly on the line to Michael Jackson over in the US or something like that, that's always an exciting thing to happen. Well, now we've come to the traditional one question for everyone section of the podcast. I asked all three of our contributors the same question, and, well, the answers are definitely varied. So here they are, warts and all. The question? What one piece of advice would you give to a singer aspiring to do recording session work? My biggest piece of advice to anyone who's going to be trying to get work as a session singer is 
number one, to keep your voice physically uh, and your body physically fit. Your voice is needs to go to the gym. You need to practice. You need to be keeping yourself physically healthy um, because of the impact that that has on your voice. So that would be one thing, regular singing lessons or practice or whatever it is that you need to keep your voice flexible and healthy. And I would also say it's very useful to experiment with different vocal styles. I think you it's very easy to be put into a category, to be put into a box. But as a session singer, one of the things you need in order to get the work, especially when there's less work out there, is the more people think, oh, oh, that person, yes, I know that they can sing in a slightly more classical style, or, oh, I know that they can belt out a rock song, or that they're, they read music. Reading music is a very useful asset if you want to be able to do the film, Hollywood films, the sort of, you know, the Disney films and the things like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and all those sorts of things that have big choirs on them. Um, so I would say to, if you want to be a recording singer and you want to be a session singer then versatility is really important and your vocal health is absolutely paramount. The most obvious advice I would give young singers considering a career as a session singer is don't. If you can do anything else do it and keep singing as a hobby. When the work is there it may be emotionally rewarding but it seldom is financially. Unfortunately, session singing is a dying art. I think the first bit of advice I would give would be to get your own home studio set up. Singing live and singing in a studio is a very different experience. And I certainly really feel that I have got better at recording in a studio environment just by uh, having my own home studio set up and understanding a bit more about it. You know, you're a lot more exposed in the studio and you notice a lot more intricate mistakes, you know, of pitch and articulation and timing and things like that. So it's a really useful thing for just improving as a singer to, to get your own uh, to get your own setup. I think the other thing would be just to get a basic level of reading. As I said before, it's not essential to sight read anything that's put in front of you, but to, to understand about timing and direction of the pitch um, and to be able to get an idea of the direction of the music is going to be really, really useful for anyone wanting to, wanting to get into the session world. And the other thing is, I suppose, just doing your own research. Do the research before the gig. If you are being asked to do a song that has been recorded before, don't just listen to one version of it. Listen to a few versions of it and, and, and practice it. That's the other thing is if you get a chance to practice before the session, practice before the session. So you can walk in and you can be confident and you can feel really ready in front of the microphone as soon as the red light goes on. Because it is hard when the red light goes on, this red light syndrome, we call it, and uh, and the red light goes on and you start making mistakes. The, The more prepared you are, the better. Simple as that. I hope you found this Sing Swing Sing In Conversation podcast both interesting and informative. I'd like to thank Christopher D, Ian McKenzie and Mary Carew for sharing their time and expertise. Please check out the other podcasts in the series, the videos on our YouTube channel, hashtag Sing Swing Sing, and our website, www.singswingsing.com. Thanks for listening.